you would please take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll be in verses 2 and then in verses 6 and 7, so three, three verses for this morning. Believe it or not, it, it is Christmas time, it's upon us. Uh, I know that's hard to believe because you're still trying to like polish off your Thanksgiving leftovers, but it's just four weeks until we celebrate Christmas. And I know you'll be putting up your tree and hanging your lights and doing all the festivities. But I think it's, it's important to remember the, the origins of, of this holiday, this Christian holiday. That is a time uh, where we celebrate the advent and the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King. Uh, as a church, we celebrate this thing called Advent. Advent literally means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. We mark Advent by these candles in front of me. Each week before Christmas, we light a different candle, one for hope, one for love, one for joy, one for peace. And that all culminates on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when we celebrate Christ himself. And we light the white candle, the Christ candle, recognizing that Christ is the fulfillment of all hope, of all love, of joy, and peace. I do think <clears throat> that we are in dire need of these messages today. I think, I don't know if it's just me or if it's just the, the atmosphere of the entire country, but I, I do feel like there is apparent hopelessness. Instead of hope, I think there is more obvious hate rather than love, more sorrow instead of joy, more disorder and war and chaos instead of peace. And so I think it's so important for us to focus in uh, on these themes that are on the wall behind me, hope, love, joy, and peace. I, I think because, especially when it comes, like we're talking about hope this morning, I think it's so easy for the pressures of this world, for, for the pain that we've experienced in this life, to start closing in around us. I, I've talked with people this, this past week who's, who's lost loved ones, and, and it, it, is, it almost feels like the world is getting tighter around you. There's that anxiety. There's that pressure. And we need the message of hope uh, now more than ever before. Uh, so we, that's what we want to talk about today. Hope can be defined as an expectation or a belief and the fulfillment of something desired. We're, we're looking for something, we're putting our hope in something, and, and we are expecting it to be desired. Tony Evans said that hope is the confident expectation that God will do what he says that he will do. Now, one of the things that I, I love to do is I, I do love to teach. I love the classroom setting. Over the years, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of doing that in, in public schools. I've had the pleasure of doing that in private schools. Uh, one of the classes I teach right now for a local school is on, on world views. Uh, the world views, is, it's related to a philosophy. It's, it's basically this idea that every human being has a way of understanding the world around them. Every human being, regardless of their religion, whether they're a Christian, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, or even a secular humanist, wherever you are from, whatever your belief system, you have a way of understanding your world around you. So every worldview answers the exact same questions. They answer questions about origins. How did we get here? 
Christians would say, well, we are created by God. He created the world. He created us. He filled the world. Uh, the, the secular humanists would say something along the lines of, well, we got here by evolution. So we all answer the question of how did we get here? We all answer the question of where do we get our morals? Where do we get our ethics, this sense of, of right and wrong? Christianity would say God has given us his word. He's implanted his word on our hearts. Other people might say, well, it's all situational. What is right in one circumstance is wrong in another circumstance, and the culture has determined what is right and wrong. Other questions that every worldview answer are some of the questions that we're going to be answering today in Isaiah chapter 9. They're the questions of what went wrong and what is wrong in our world. Regardless of your philosophy, regardless of your religion, everyone in this room has an answer to what went wrong. Whether you say it is a long line of cause and effect or sin, you have an answer for that question. We're also going to answer the question in our text of is there any hope in fixing what went wrong? And then finally, we're going to answer the question of how do these beliefs that we hold work themselves out in our life? So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, and then we're going to answer these questions. Isaiah chapter 9, if you're using the black Bibles under the benches, it's on page 573. chapter, Chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray that as we look into this text that your spirit will help lead us to truth that what is said will be glorifying to your name. Father, I pray that you help show us what is wrong in our world, what is wrong in our hearts, and show us the hope you have for us in Christ Jesus. Father, we do pray for uh, members of our church who, uh, who are in need of you. We pray for those who've lost loved ones over the past couple of weeks. We pray for those who are feeling the pressure of, 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 of finances. We pray for those who feel the pressure of, of broken relationships in their family. We pray for those who, who are just feeling the pressures of work and of life. Father, we pray for the hope and your word to be in us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first question that we want to answer today from our text is what went wrong? What is wrong with our world? And we find the answer in chapter 9, verse 2 of Isaiah, when the prophet says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them 
light has shone. What is wrong with the world? What is the problem? The problem is that there is a deep and a present darkness in our world. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, this metaphor of darkness is used to to describe evil, to describe the chaos in our world. It's used to describe immorality, used to describe fear. And so when the Bible uses this theme of darkness, that's what it's referring to, the evil. And when we go to Scripture, we find that darkness has invaded every aspect of creation and every aspect of life. We know that darkness, that it did have an effect on the created world. Just the other day, I was, I was in my backyard with my son, Jim, uh, and we were tilling up my little garden beds. And I would, I would till up some dirt, and he would grab the grass and throw it out because there's lots of weeds in there. And every now and again, we'd come across an earthworm. And he would hold it up and pick it up. It's like, look, Dad, I got a worm. You know, can I give it to the chickens? And I'm like, no, no, like, don't, don't give that one to the chickens. We, we like the earthworms. The earthworms are good for our plants. They bring oxygen and nutrients. We, we want to keep them in here. He's like, all right, he'd throw them in there, and he'd keep digging. And every now and again, we'd come across those nasty grubs. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, from the ooze in the congregation, we know. They're those, like, they, they curl up in a little U-shape. They kind of look like a pale caterpillar. And all they do is they, like, wreak havoc on our yards and our gardens. And so my son, with, without fear, would pick them up and say, look, Dad, I got another one. And I'm like, yeah, give that one to the chickens. <laughs> and, and one of the things he would say is, he would say, well, God didn't make that one. And he said that because he, he's saying, well, it's a bad bug. This bug wreaks havoc on yards. This bug wreaks havoc on our roots and on our plants. Therefore, since it is bad, it means that God didn't create it. And so here I was like trying to explain to my four-year-old, no, God, God did create that grub. But since sin entered the world, all of creation is at war with itself. It's why we have earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes that wreak havoc on the created order. Romans chapter 8, we'll get there in a few months, but it says that all of creation that is under the curse of sin, all of creation is longing for the day when the sons of God will be revealed and Christ will come back. Why? Because the curse that is on our created world will be lifted and the earth will be as it should. That darkness has invaded the created order. It's invaded all of our systems. It has invaded our our government systems. I don't care if you have a monarchy, a dictatorship, or a capitalistic society. Darkness has invaded our government systems. It's why we have corruption. It's why we have words like crony capitalism. It's why we have things like voter fraud. Why? Because darkness has invaded our government systems. And governments use their power not to help people, but to maintain their power. That's why governments around the world oppress the people that they govern. Because darkness has invaded not only the created world, but the systems that rule that world. And it's invaded our relationships. One of the reasons why Thanksgiving and Christmas can be so hard for so many of us is because it highlights the people that are not around our table. Through broken relationships, through strife, 
We've lost people we've loved. They're still here. They're still with us. They're just not at our table. Darkness has invaded our created world. It's invaded our systems. It's invaded our relationships. It's why we have difficulties and strife in our marriages, strife between siblings. Darkness has invaded it all. I think it would be very convenient to blame all this darkness in the world on some outside force, that it's some invader that's attacking us, that it's some disease that has infected, some parasite that's latched on and causing harm. But the Bible is very clear that the darkness in the world that is a result of sin originates and flows out of the human heart. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says the people who walked in darkness. It's not like it's just a dark room and they're wandering around in it. They are walking in darkness. They are practicing darkness for themselves. And we have to realize that's just not talking about ancient Israel. That's talking about us today. Every person in this room, myself, we are all walking in some level of darkness. John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. What is Scripture teaching? The Scripture is teaching us that we have darkness in our own hearts. We have evil in our own hearts. And I don't think it's one of these things where we wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to be an agent of evil today, right? We, we, surely there are people like that out there. You might know a few of them. But for the most part, I think we, we don't wake up with that motive. But this is how we exercise the darkness in our own hearts. We have desires, we have hopes, we have dreams. We want to be happy, we want peace in our lives, we want to be fulfilled in our life. And what we do is we live our life in search of these things outside of God. We seek happiness and amusement and, and, and toys and, and, and relationships. And because those things won't fulfill us, evil flows out of it. We seek happiness and fulfillment out of our jobs, thinking surely this will give me what I'm looking for in life. I will, I will be accepted here. I'll be acknowledged here. And we pursue that outside of God. And as a result, evil is worked out. Because scripture teaches us that the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to have joy in this life, the only way to have peace in our life is to love and obey God. It's to be underneath His authority. But all of humanity, without exception, rebels against authority. We push against it. Whether it be human authority or the authority of God Himself, we don't like it. And as a result of our rebellion against God, darkness exists in our lives and it exists in our world. My question for you today is, is, can you see the darkness in your own life and in your own heart? I think one of the reasons it's difficult sometimes to see that is because light hurts. Um, 
I guess it was about a week ago, I, I went to the doctor's office. I went to get my eyes checked. It's been about four years, and I, I hear you do it more often than that. Um, at least that's what the doctors tell me, so I don't know if they just want more. I don't know. Um, anyways, I go in, I get my eyes checked, and I'm a little offended because a lady who's introduced me and sent me in the chair says, oh, it's a good thing you're here. You might need bifocals this year. You're at that age. And I'm like, thanks. Uh, but, but one of the things that they do is, is, is they, they put these drops in my eyes, and they dilate in my eyes made my pupils giant, and I felt fine, felt great, sitting in there in that dark room, it was cool, I was reclined in a chair, and I was quite content in the darkness with my dilated eyes, but as soon as the doctor opened the door to the hallway, hallway and the light shone in, man, it hurt, it hurt my eyes so bad I had to close them and try to open them slowly, but even then the light hurt. Then they gave me those little fake sunglasses, you know, the, the kind you slide behind your glasses. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to keep them, but I keep it in my car just because of the free sunglasses, right? And I put those behind my eyes, and, and even with shades on, my eyes hurt. The light hurts. I get in my car. I pull the visors down. I'm squinting on my way back to work. I sit in my office. I can't even look at the computer screen because the light hurts. And the only peace I feel like I can truly have is to turn off all the lights, close the door, and live in my darkness. Sometimes the darkness in our own hearts leads us to have pain when we are exposed to the light of the gospel and the light of God's word. And one of the responses we have when we are exposed to the truth of God's word is we want to retreat back into our darkness where we are comfortable One of the questions I think we need to ask ourselves and one of the prayers we need to have is we need to ask God to show us the own evil that exists in our heart. So if you are visiting grace for the first time or for a few times and and you you even realize you're not a Christian, my prayer for you is that your very first prayer would be, God, show me the darkness and the evil that exists in my own heart we won't be able to see the hope of the truth of the gospel until we first recognize our need for it. Some of us have been believers for a long time, and it's so easy for us to fall back into the darkness because we're we're trying to follow God, we're we're moral, we're trying to obey what it says, and we begin to have this false idea that we're really good, that we got this whole Christianity thing down. And it's so easy as easy for us to miss the darkness that exists in our own heart. It's the first prayer that we all need to pray is, Lord, show me the evil, show me the darkness that exists in my own heart. And the other thing we need to do is, is we need exposure to light. To see the darkness in our own life, we do need to see truth. We need to see light. One of the ways that we do that is by looking at God's word, the Bible, by reading his law. Uh, the Bible says that it is the, that the law is a tutor. It is a teacher showing us our sin. So sometimes we don't know we're in sin until we are exposed to the truth that what we are doing is actually sin. So we see that by, by reading God's word, by seeing what God commands, and seeing how we're not living up to those commands. And I think also one of the ways that we can see light is by seeing it in other people. And, and I think this is hard for us, because I think we've lived in darkness for so long that we're suspicious of anyone who looks like they're living in light. 
We're suspicious of anyone who looks like they're doing good. We almost think they have this ulterior motive or they're trying to manipulate in some way or, or they're just doing something that, that's not right. And so we're suspicious of even people who do good and people who do right. It's one of the things we just need to step back and admit and say, you know what? Regardless of what their motives might be, that thing that they just did was right and good. And I think when we see goodness and we see righteousness, sometimes that shines the light on the darkness of our own hearts. And it is important for us to see that because without seeing our darkness, we cannot see the hope. That leads us to our second question we want to answer. What is our hope? Is there any answer to the darkness that is in the world? In Isaiah chapter 9, we see that there is hope. It says in verse 2, People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then it shows us and tells us what that light is down in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What is the hope of the world, the hope to darkness? The answer is a child. And if you're here today, I'll tell you that sounds foolish. Uh, It does. That the hope to all the evil and the brokenness in this world is a baby, is a child. That goes against everything we believe in everything we have seen in this world. Because surely things can only be fixed through wealth and power and might and strength. I think this fulfills what Paul said in the book of Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It sounds ridiculous to us that our hope, the answer to the darkness and the evil in the world would be a baby. And I want to let you know that when people first heard this in Isaiah's day, they thought it was just as ridiculous. But that is what God has chosen to do, to show that he is the answer and not our human strength and might. This child that is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6, this child that is born, that is given, we know is Jesus Christ. The child born to Mary in a manger, first century Roman Empire. He is the hope. He is the answer to the darkness that is in the world. He is our true hope. And we see how he is true hope and we read the rest of our text. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. What is it saying? It's saying that Jesus is the true human being. That Jesus, unlike every other human being in the world, will not disappoint us. We can go to him for acceptance, for love, and it will always be there. His shoulders are strong enough for us to say, I need you and him to be present for us. Not only is he the true human being, but Isaiah goes on. He says, the government shall rest upon his shoulder. What is it saying? It's saying that Jesus is the true government. We have all these governments in the world today 
that are trying to exercise and keep their power and their authority. And they're always going to disappoint us. I don't know why we do it, but we always think if we can just get this one person elected or this one person elected, then they'll solve all of our problems. We'll, 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 we'll have well-being again. We'll be, we'll be set again. They'll fix the direction of our country. And then they have four or eight years in the White House. And we always kind of just leave disappointed. Well, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. So what do we do next? We then put our hope in the next politician. If you are putting your hope in politician, you are going to be sorely disappointed every four to eight years. The only true government that will care for its people, that will love its people, that will protect and provide is Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the true government. Not only is he the true government, but in verse 6 it says that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is true wisdom. He is the only, the only wisdom, the only truth out there that will not disappoint. All other philosophies, all other ideologies will end up failing us. Their consistency is not consistent enough. Only Jesus will fulfill. Not only is he true wisdom, it says that he is the ever lasting father we are we have our origins in him he is our father he's a father that will never leave the father that will never forsake the father that will always provide he is the true parent and he is the prince of peace a few weeks ago dave talked about how peace means well-being that that life is going well that it's a flourishing and listen to what he says jesus is the true flourishing it says it says that he is the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end there will be there will be well-being upon well-being flourishing upon flourishing how long from now and forevermore scripture says this is why christians say that jesus is the true hope he's not just hope for our salvation but he's a hope of all creation. And we have to recognize that this baby that was born in the manger who would one day die on the cross, be buried and rose again, that we are still waiting for his return. And that is so hard for our world to, to grasp uh, that, that we, are, we are putting our hope, one, in a, in a baby, uh, that this baby is God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, once again, this, this is hard for our world to get a hold of. But we are saying this is our belief. This is our confident expectation of what is going to happen. And it is the only true hope. So what do we do with this hope? When we have these beliefs, how do we apply these beliefs to our life? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to apply hope to our own hearts. We have to apply hope in our own hearts. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, verse 17, the war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. I think whenever we are living this life and we seem to have lost our hope and we're living in this sense, in this state of hopelessness, I think what we need to do is always go back to what our true hope is. And we have to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus. Whenever we think that we are not good enough, we have to remember that Jesus is good enough for us. Whenever we feel that we are not accepted by those around us, we have to realize that we are accepted by the God of the universe. Whatever sickness that ails us, we have to remember that Jesus is our balm. He is our medicine to make us well. David in Psalm 43 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. And in, 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 in chapter 42, he says something similar. And then he says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. So whenever we start feeling this hopelessness, whenever we start feeling this pressure in our life, this unfulfillment, what we have to go is we have to go back and apply the medicine of hope. We have to remember what God has done in Scripture, what He has done in Christ, what He's already done in our lives, the lives of the people around us, and let that renew the hope that is in us. When you feel the pressure and the hopelessness of life closing in, what is it that you tell yourself? Are you believing in the lies of hopelessness, or are you reminding yourself of the hope we have in God. I think the second thing we need to do is we need to tell somebody. We never experience hope without sharing that hope with other people. I think we had the great example of the shepherds in the field. They were in the, sh- in the field keeping watch with their flocks by night, and lo, angels of the Lord appeared, and they declared to them that a baby was born in Bethlehem and that he was going to bring peace to men on earth with whom God is well pleased. And what do those men do? They go check it out. They can say, man, is is this light? Is this truth? Is this hope really there? And when they see the child that was born and given, what do they then do? They then go to the countryside telling other people about the good news. Whenever we experience hope, we need to share hope. It's what the women did whenever they went to the empty tomb of Jesus and they saw that Jesus was not dead, but that he was alive. What did they do? They turned and they didn't just mosey on back to the disciples. It said that they ran to the disciples to tell them of the news of Jesus's resurrection, to tell them about the hope that they can have. What did the disciples do whenever Jesus was ascended? And the angel said, why are you guys standing around for? Jesus, who just left, he's going to come back. But you, you, you need to go. Jesus said, go and tell the world of the hope that we have in him. What I want you to do this morning is before you leave, while we're sitting here during communion, I want you to sit and I want you to think about who do I know in my life? Whether it be a family member, whether it be a friend, whether it be an enemy, whether that be a coworker, who do I know in my life that needs a message of hope? I want you to think about that person. And I want you this week to go and tell them about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Christmas time is an excellent opportunity to share hope. It's an excellent opportunity because, man, 
our whole country is celebrating in some form or fashion. Oftentimes, the same songs are played on the radio about, about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or about having joy to the world, or about a silent night. The whole world is setting up trees and putting lights on houses, lights that shine out into the darkness. The whole world is setting up evergreen trees, talking about new life. Christmas time is an excellent opportunity for bridges to tell people about the hope you have in Christ. Think about that person that needs a message of hope this week and go share it with them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope we have for salvation and his death and resurrection, and the hope we have in his kingdom to come where there will be peace and well-being and flourishing. Father, whenever life is hard and whenever it seems hopeless, may we remind ourselves of the hope we have in you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.